When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Managing editor of Wrestling Inc., Nick Hausman, back for another episode of the Winkly, our special 4th of July, Independence Day episode of uh, of the Winkly. Wait, I started playing a Christmas song. What's a, what's a, hey, Justin, it's Justin Labar. He's here for the, the special. I should play uh, the, 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 what, the national anthem on the kazoo? Or you could play like uh Patriotism. Play ball. Play, Play ball. ball. Uh, uh, that was uh, worth uh, it. Very nice. I was I was gonna say with a kazoo, you could either have done Kurt Angle's theme music, you could do Hacksaw Jim Duggan's you know WCW theme music. too much fun actually here's a fun here's a fun fact okay. kurt angle's theme kurt angle's theme music while we attribute it famously to kurt angle because of the whole you suck kurt angle's theme music was the theme music i'm pretty sure that the patriot used uh in 1997 in wwe oh look at that all coming together here well that is a great segue uh because we are not going to be chatting the news today because it is the fourth of july we recorded this segment here uh on july 3rd shortly after we recorded uh, the the latest episode of the Winkley yesterday, which I hope you you listened to and enjoyed with Lance Archer and, and Kevin Kelly. But today, Justin, we're just gonna we're gonna banter a bit here at the top. I played the kazoo here for a little while, and we're gonna throw to uh, my special interview with the Patriot Dell Wilkes here in just a little bit. Uh, before we do that, what else, what should I plug? Oh yeah, this weekend. Okay, now it's a big weekend for wrestling. Now we got three big uh three big shows going on that we're gonna have coverage on the site we're gonna have new japan pro wrestling's g1 dallas show that's live on access tv it's free to watch you can go over to the site we're gonna have live coverage uh on on the site we're also gonna have on-site coverage on our social channels and on the site 
uh, from MLW's Kings of the Coliseum event in Chicago, which I'll be at. And then this Sunday, Impact Slammiversary pay-per-view. We will have coverage of that on the site as well. So a lot of pro wrestling. It's going to be a great weekend. But 4th of July, Justin, how do you how are you going to celebrate 4th of July? Uh, well, I'm currently standing in my bathing suit, which I'd like everybody to know is a red, white, and blue flag. That is my bathing suit, America. Okay. Uh, I usually partake in alcohol, and I like to I love I love I love to grill. I love to grill. Well, I mean, if, if, if you're grilling for a lot of people, obviously, you know, it's a different story. I, I'm 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 a big charcoal grill guy. I like to, you know, get my charcoal in there. I like to let a grill just warm up for a half hour, a nice smoky flavor. I like to, you know, have a beer or two while I'm waiting, listen to some music. So that's me. I'm I'm all about food, alcohol. I love um, you know, all about having the music. Put the music on in the background. Put a, put a Pandora channel or something on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's me. I'm a very simple guy. And of course. You know, fireworks once fireworks once the the sky is dark. If if anyone's in Chicago, I'll recommend. Uh, I'll be going to Winnemac Park. It's on the north side of Chicago. It is like five uh, baseball fields. Okay, and each baseball field uh, gets filled up by one. I don't even know how this system works here because you're not even legally supposed to shoot off fireworks in Chicago. But all these people come in from the rural parts of Illinois to Chicago, and they take over these baseball fields and they like fireworks battle. Justin, they try to outdo each other for hours. It is the craziest fireworks spectacle I have ever seen in my whole life. Um, it's great. It's a little dangerous, but the cops just let it happen. They sit there, they make sure it's done safely. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, who wants to who wants to be the cop to like you know arrest somebody or find somebody for for celebrating the country, especially if they're not harming anybody, if they're doing it safely and not. You know, I mean, who who wants to be that Amen. that person? Amen. <laughs> My guest at this time is a former two-time WCW Tag Team Champion. He was also Pro Wrestling Illustrated's 1991 Most Inspirational Pro Wrestler. He is the best possible 4th of July guest I could probably imagine. It is the Patriot, Del Wilkes. Del, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here. Glad to do it, and I appreciate you uh, giving me the invitation. Uh, looking forward to it. Well, you know, you've done Steve Austin's podcast twice. Do one with Nick Hausman. I feel like that's the next logical progression. Hey, it makes sense, doesn't it? It does. It makes a lot of sense. You know, <laughs> we're going to talk all about your career. We're going to talk about all that stuff. But, you know, this is the 4th of July special. You are my 4th of July special guest. I couldn't think of anyone uh, even remotely close that I would want to talk to on this day. How do you celebrate the 4th of July? How does the Patriot... Del Wilkes celebrate the 4th of July? Well, I'll probably do what a lot of people will do, but this is what the Wilkes family is going to do. We're going to get together with other family members, and um, I'm having some work done in my kitchen. I'm I'm getting new countertops, and and I've had uh, uh, some shelving and and pantries put in, so we're not going to be able to cook. I just got rid of my grill. I don't have a grill, so what we're going to do is we're going to load the family up and we're going to head to our favorite barbecue restaurant about 30 miles down the road, and we're going to eat all the pulled pork barbecue, fried chicken, macaroni and cheese, cream, corn, uh, coleslaw that you can possibly eat. Have a good time. Come back. Uh, just out on the porch. Have a good time. Fellowship. And then that night, we'll shoot off some fireworks. Oh, man, Dell, that just sounds incredible. I'm from Texas. I'm a, I'm a barbecue fiend. I know South Carolina, y'all have some of the best barbecue in the entire country uh, is pulled pork. Is that your Absolutely. jam? Is that your, is that your favorite? Yeah, we, it is. Uh, you know, the, it's, it's pulled and chopped up and uh, 
South Carolina, we're basically a mustard-based sauce that's really, really popular here in South Carolina. Ugh. You can get a tomato base, but most of us prefer that mustard-based sauce and uh, load it down with some of that and just some of the best eating you could possibly have. And the place we're going to go to is a place that I've been going to. The first time my family took me there was in 1965. So it's really an iconic establishment uh, right outside of Columbia, South Carolina. So we'll head there and uh, and just enjoy a wonderful day and be thankful that we live in the greatest country that has ever existed. I am now. I'm and not, celebrate that. Now I'm now I'm here. Happy Fourth of July. We're talking to the Patriot Del Wilkes. What what an amazing start to this interview. You know. You're so iconic. You are America, right? And, you know, I can't imagine, you know, having played the Patriot for so many years, do you have any fond 4th of July memories through your wrestling career as the Patriot? Was there ever one 4th of July that particularly resonated you while you with you while you were playing that character? You know, I really can't think of a particular 4th of July. Uh, you know, when you're out on the road as often as we were when you know, I was in the, the midst of my career and you're traveling all the time. Sometimes those days, those months, those holidays sort of run together. So there's not really one particular 4th of July that stands out. Just a lot of great memories in portraying that character and playing that character throughout my, you know, throughout my entire career and even till today getting to do personal appearances and things like that. Just being able to the fellowship with the fans and, and to mingle with them and talk with them and just be around them. So it's just been a great career uh, being the Patriot. That's amazing. You know, so I, like I said, I'll tell you beforehand, I, I got to go back. I always love to do research, relive classic matches with the people I get to interview. I couldn't find a, a July 4th specific, but I did find a July 14th specific date. So we'll stretch it a bit here. Uh, July 14th, okay. 1997. That's the day you returned back to WWE TV. Uh, I went back. It's you alongside I mean, legends, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, you know, Ken Shamrock was there. I mean, what were your memories of, of returning to WWE there on WWE TV? I know you had wrestled a little bit before that on non-televised stuff, but what are your memories of, of getting back in, in, in WWE TV in 97? Well, I felt like it was it was the right place to be. Um, I had spent uh, you know a number of years working for All Japan yeah. and uh, and Mr. Bobum. Uh, I had spent a lot of years working overseas, working there. Of course, I came back to the states and I worked for Global, and that's where the Patriot really got its start. Yeah, uh, the Global Wrestling Federation, and of course, you mentioned the two-time tag team champions in WCW right. as Stars and Stripes with Bagwell. But I was nearing the end of my career, or at least the in-ring part of my career then, and it was good to be able to come back home and come to the WWF and do it on that grand of stage. And what a better, there couldn't be any better way than to make my, make my debut that night with uh, walking out on the stage with Austin and Sid and uh, Heartbreak Kid and Ken Shamrock and... Uh, you know, standing off and or having to stare down with the Heart Foundation. Man, who was uh, who was the person that contacted you to come back to the company? Well, it was sort of uh, I I talked with Jim Ross several times. I, you know, I've known Jim a long time. Uh, Bruce Pritchett reached out to me when I was in Global and first started doing the Patriot character. Bruce was there and uh, sort of doing a uh an off take i guess on brother love but bruce was there in global okay cornet contacted me and reached out to me so i had several people that had reached out to me from the company 
from the WWF, as it was known then. And eventually, I um, I talked with Vince and set up a meeting with Vince and, and flew up one day. And Vince and I just talked one-on-one for about three hours. And uh, I walked out of there with a three-year contract offer. Uh, it was something that I wanted to discuss with my wife at the time uh, and just think about it. But within two days, I had contacted Vince and said, I'm all on board. I signed the contract and FedEx the pack and the rest is history. What are you, what are your what are your impressions of Vince McMahon? What do you think of of Vince uh, overall? I guess. Well, I like well, I like working for Vince. Vince is uh, Vince is he's unbelievable. He's uh, an unbelievable mind for the business, and you look at how he's affected the business and how he's changed the business. Uh, I think a lot of wrestling fans see Vince on TV and get one image of Vince. Uh, but Vince is a good guy to work for. He's a creative guy. He's a loyal guy. And uh, so, and I, you know, like you'd mentioned before uh, in the first part of this, I had gone up there even back in the early 90s and worked some for him. Uh, I don't think anything had ever been televised, but uh, Rick Martell got hurt one time and, and was injured for a few weeks. And so I filled in and went out on the road for a couple of weeks with him. So I'd known Vince a long time. Yeah. But uh, Vince is a great guy to work for. Enjoyed working for him. Now, yeah, you know, like uh, we were talking about, yeah, you were there in 91, 92. Uh, you played a couple different – you played Patriot. You were also yourself. I believe you were also the Trooper, which we can talk about later. Um, but, you know, you were there in 91, 92, very different than it was in 97 when the, the product was red hot. You know, how different was the atmosphere backstage and in the ring uh, in 97 as compared to your original time with WWF in uh, 91? Well, there were a lot of interesting things going on in 97. Uh, You know, the company was really, the face of the company had changed. The direction of the company had changed. You know, Vince had lost Hogan to WCW. And I was in WCW when they signed Hogan. And he had lost to Savage. And he had lost a lot of other guys. And I think Nash and Hall were gone. So now all of a sudden, the face of the company becomes guys like, you know, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin and Mick Foley and a young Rocky Maivia, which later became The Rock. Uh, But also, too, I I forget the city we were in, but it was a Monday night. It was a Raw show, live TV. And you have to be at the buildings at noon, or at least you did back then. And uh, we went on air at 9 o'clock at night, so you had nine hours at the building before the you know bell time. But this particular Monday, Vince called a meeting with everybody, all the talent, all the agents, and uh, we met uh, in this Coliseum, in the bowels of the Coliseum somewhere. And that was when Vince said, look, guys, we're getting ready to change how we do business. This has always been a black-white business. The good guy wears the white cowboy hat, the black guy wears, I mean, the bad guy wears the black cowboy hat. We're going to change that. We're going to blur the lines. We're going to make it more of a gray area. What was once good is going to be bad. What was once bad is going to be good. We're going to push the envelope with content, with sexuality. Uh, we're going to get more aggressive, and that's what started the Attitude Era and the birth of the Attitude Era. And I was there for that. So it was an unbelievably different atmosphere in 97 than it was in 91 or 92. And plus, also, there was other things going on. I'm paired up with Bret Hart, and we're working together every night with this America-Canada program. And there's issues between Bret and Shawn Michaels. Yes. And working so close with Brett, I get to hear his displeasure with the direction of the company, with his displeasure with Brett. I mean, with Shawn. 
and and just a lot of things. So there was a lot of different things going on at that time that made it a really, really interesting time to be a part of that company. Well, tell me, you know, if you don't mind me prying a bit here, what what was Brett, what do you recall Brett was saying at the time that he particularly didn't like with Sean or, or some of the directions of the company, if you don't mind me asking? Well, he, he felt like Brett, I mean, he felt like Sean had, had Vince's ear, and, um, and he did. I'm sure that he did. Uh, and Brett was highly displeased with the direction the company was taking. And I think he felt like that Sean and maybe uh, Hunter and some of those guys played a part in that. But I, I take you back to that meeting I just told you about when yeah. we're going to we're going to become more of a racy company, more of an edgy company. This is a an industry that is built toward appealing to kids. But yet we're going to give this more adult-oriented team and more adult-oriented content. And Brett didn't like that. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't really like it either. Yeah. Uh, and he was unhappy with that. He just didn't feel like that pro wrestling should sort of stoop to that and, and be that. And um, it had gotten to the point with the cussing and, and a lot of the things that was going on that when I would get to TV on Monday, there's a big chalkboard up that gives you the entire layout of the show. From bell time at 9 o'clock to you go off the air at a little after 11. You know what time you're going in the ring. You know what time your match starts. You know what time your match ends. And I would call my wife and I'd say, look, I'm going in at 10.45 tonight. I'll be done at 10.58. And that was the only time I would let my kids watch it because it had gotten to the point that I just felt like it was content that wasn't suitable for kids at that time. You know, and I didn't want my kids seeing anything but what their dad was doing. You know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I, I watched uh, a little bit of the build and then I sat and I watched the, the In Your House uh, title match you had, uh, In Your House Ground Zero, the title match you had with Brett. And it felt so not of the times. You know, there was a certain purity to it, watching you work with Brett during that bout. And, you know, you had mentioned, yeah. how, you had mentioned how Hulk Hogan had had jumped to WCW. You know, when you're getting when you're getting back in the mix here and you're having this three hour conversation with Vince, I mean, I almost felt like you were being a positioned a bit like their new Hulk Hogan in a way. I don't know if like I would say to go as far as they pushed Hulk, but I felt like you were filling that void a bit for, for Hulk. Am I wrong in saying that or thinking that? Well I I, I think in some ways it turned out to, to, to be that way. Now I will tell you this that my uh, my initial conversations with Vince that day when we sat down and talked, um, Vince, he was open to anything that I had to say, uh, but he just felt like, in, in, it, it wasn't an argument, but during discuss, discussions about what I wanted to do and where he saw my character going and where I saw it going and developing in WWF, he just felt like that at that particular time, a mass character couldn't get over so he was really sort of focused. His mindset was on something completely different than the Patriots. But my counterpoint to Vince was, hey, man, this character's been over everywhere I've taken it. In global, I was a, I was a top babyface in the company, had both belts at one time, uh, been one of the top guys working for all Japan. Uh, all the years I worked there in WCW twice, had the tag team belts with Bagwell. So... I do think the character is over with people, and I think it continue. It can continue to get over with people. He just felt a little differently. But after seeing the reaction I was getting from the fans night after night, and the you know TV and stuff like that, Vince said, "Yeah, you know, Dale, you're right. It is still a very popular character. Here's what we're going to do. 
we're going to pair you up with Brett, and Brett's just turned heel, and, and he's bad-mouthing America, and we're just going to try to, to build something with you and his anti-American slant right now. And, and it worked, and it worked good. But initially, I don't think Vince was convinced that it would be that way. You know, it was weird to be watching the match with you and Brett, too, um, because when it got to the finish here, um, the finish of the match was essentially the finish that it looked like they were trying to go for in the infamous Montreal Screwjob match where Brett reverses the sharpshooter that you put him in, and then you pass out from the sharpshooter, essentially. Um, when you saw that night play out with the Montreal Screwjob, did you also think that, like, you know, that, wow, that's interesting, they would use the same finish that we just did two months ago for the for the end of this bout? Sure, absolutely, I, I did. It was one of the first things that came to mind, but, um, you know, it was completely different circumstances, obviously, that, sure. that led to that finish and the one we had, but sure, it was one of the first things I thought of when I saw that. Yeah, I just, it was so bizarre. I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, wow, this is the screw job finish. You know, like it was yeah. bizarre. Um, when you saw that play out, it, you know, t I guess it, you, we've all learned so much, everything like that. You, I mean, your opinion of the screw job uh, on the level work? Or do you think it was, uh, everybody was, or do you think that it was a shoot? Or do you think everybody might have been working people with the, the screw job? You know, it, 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 that's a good question. And, and I think it's good that many, that many, you know, question that. Was it a work? Was it on the level? Was it, was it, was it? There's nothing wrong with that. And that used to be the way the business was. You know, everybody could tell you or they would claim that it was fake. But yet, you know, man, uh, listen, I, I'll never forget. I was in Minneapolis somewhere one night. And this is in the late 80s. I'm working as a trooper for Vern. Sure. And I met a couple in a restaurant. And they said, you know what? We know what y'all do is staged and set up. But I remember one night I saw Manny Fernandez and Wahoo McDaniel and they really got in a fight and they really went at it and it was real. And I think it's always good to have that doubt. Is it? Is it not? We've sort of taken that away nowadays, but I don't know. Was it a shoot? Was it legitimate? I don't know. I've always thought it was a, was a legitimate deal. It may not have been. And if it's not, they, they pulled one over on me too. Uh, Based on the circumstances surrounding it, um, I, I can sort of understand where everybody's coming from. But the bottom line is this: uh, if it was a shoot and it was the real deal, you got a guy leaving your company and he can't walk out with the belt, and uh, you know you've got to get it off of him some way. And, and if he wasn't willing to work with you, then you got to do it the best way you possibly can, and so be it. It was just so weird, you know. I was just like I was watching your y'all's finish, and I'm like, well, this is the way I think Brett would would have wanted it done, right? Sean passes out next night. Brett can come out and say, "You didn't tap. I don't deserve this title. Here you go." Drops the belt, but they obviously that's that's not the way that went. Um, yeah. You know, now, not long after this, you know, you you went down uh, with the torn tricep. You got released by WWE. Not long after that, like, how did that affect you? I mean. You were doing so well. You were getting so hot, and, and to go down with injury and, and be gone here not long after. Well, when I signed that three-year deal that I told you about earlier with Vince, I did so with damaged goods. I did not get injured in a WWF ring. I, I went to work for Vince, a damaged man. My body was shot. I, the most fun part of my career, the highlight of my career, I get this question a lot, man. It had to be working for Vince in the WWF. It wasn't. The highlight of my career was working for Baba 
in all Japan. I just loved working there. I loved the type of work, the style of matches, the way business was conducted. But the only drawback to it, because of the way we did things, we had a clean finish every night, every match. It was a one, two, three. And uh, there were no outside interferences, no double DQs. Therefore, it lent itself to be a more physical style of work. And I started getting hurt, and I started getting hurt quite regularly. Um, I tore a tricep. I had it repaired. I went back to work too soon. It tore again. Had a staph infection set up. I blew my knee out, uh, my right knee. I've since had it replaced three times. So when I got to Vince, I was already on borrowed time, and I knew it. And I tried to cover that up the best I could, Man. not to let Vince or anybody know that. I felt like if they know truly the kind of condition I'm in, uh, you know, it may cost me money. It may cost me years on the contract. So I tried to cover it up and hide it the best way I could. But eventually it caught up to me, and I couldn't continue to go. So I didn't get hurt while I was there. I arrived there, and my body was shot and literally worn out and it didn't last much longer you know once i got there before i just got to the point where i couldn't continue to go well i i know you know based off of what you talked about on steve's podcast you know it sounds like you were dealing with a lot of these issues um with with drugs different kinds of drugs i mean when you went down like this and you know were released by wwe did that make the issues you were dealing with worse did that exacerbate where you were at well i was in a bad place you know well, I got there, not only injury-wise, but with the drug issue. Um, and uh, I, um, I had just gotten in a mess with these prescription drugs. And um, I've told the story countless times, but yeah. I'm on the road. I, as a matter of fact, it's back there in 91, 92 when I'm working those shows for Vince. And I'm in a car with Kurt Henning and John Nord. And I've got an elbow that's swollen up like a grapefruit. I'm complaining about it. It's killing me. And Kurt offered me some Percocet. I'd heard of a Percocet, but I don't recall prior to that ever taking a pain pill. But I did. And it took the pain away and allowed me to work and be effective and do what I was paid a lot of money to do in that ring. Well, fast forward it now to 1997, and I've got many more injuries, much more serious injuries, injuries that are threatening my career, the length of my career, affecting what I can do in the ring. And my pain pill intake has gone from those two that Kirk gave me to over 100, up to 120 a day. Jesus. And then you mix all the other muscle relaxer sleeping pills with it, and it's a wonder I'll live through that. But it did get worse once I did have to retire. It, it, it even got worse than that. So it got to a, a dangerous, dangerous level of, of narcotics that I was using. How, uh, what was uh, what was the Vince and the WWE's attitude towards the, those kinds of issues at the time? Was there anybody reining people in, or was it just something that was you know you just didn't talk about it? And it was kind of you do whatever you want. Oh, it was never mentioned, and to my knowledge, when I was working for Vince, no one knew that I had that problem. Those problems didn't come to light until I made you know until I basically confessed and, and said, look, this is what I was doing. You know, at the end, I was dealing with all these injuries. I was also dealing with a horrible addiction. But at the time, um, I'm willing to say no one there knew about it. I, I, I felt like I covered my tracks pretty well, you know, in, in, in the podcast that I did with Steve when talking to him about the number of pills I was taking today. You know, I mean, he was taken back about it or by it because I don't think anyone there would have looked at me 
and said, man, that guy is a junkie. That guy's strong. Now he's taking 120 Percocet a day. No one knew that. It didn't come to life till afterwards. Do you do you think that WWE and Vince should offer their employees, their wrestlers, benefits like health insurance, retirement plans? Do you think if those kinds of walls had been there, it maybe would have limited the, the damage you did to yourself? I don't think. I think it's a good thing to offer those, and yes, I think they should be offered. I honestly don't think it would have changed me or it would have had an effect on me. I had health insurance. Uh, it would have been great if they would have offered it, but I had it on my own. Um, and, um, I, um, I don't listen. I had, you know, uh, I just don't foresee that it would have made any difference with me, uh, no matter what they would have done at that point in time. Now, maybe if they would have drug tested me and threatened to take me off the road, maybe that would have done something. I don't know, but I don't know that they really could have done anything to prevent the direction I was heading in. Okay. Well, here, let's uh, let's flash back here a little bit. We started here with kind of some of the more recent memories people probably have from the Attitude Era. But, you know, going back and, and looking at your path to, to through your career, uh, very interesting stuff, Dell. I had no idea that you were almost an NFL football player. That's pretty cool. Um, like, how, yeah. how different... How different was it for you training to be a football player as compared to when you started up your pro wrestling training? Well, I basically went from football to pro wrestling after I was done at South Carolina. Uh, I was a, an All-American, first-team All-American football player, offensive lineman at the University of South Carolina. And then uh, in 85 and 86, was in NFL camps. And then once I was released by the Falcons in 86, I basically came back to Columbia shortly thereafter and started training at the fabulous Moolah's camp. And I honestly thought that I'm this big, tough, hard-nosed football player. There's nothing that y'all can do to me in this ring that's going to hurt me, that's going to – I mean, you know, listen, I've done it. I mean, there's nothing more physical uh, and physically demanding and, and harder on your body than football. But I was wrong. <laughs> Man, once I started learning the business and being trained at Moolah's and taking those bumps, it was a completely different kind of hurt and a completely different kind of sore. Um, it was a lot more tougher. It was a lot tougher than I anticipated it ever be. Man, uh, you know, I got to ask. They just did. I, do you know what the Dark Side of the Ring series is? Did you watch any of those episodes on the, the channel Viceland? I did. Okay. They had a fabulous Moolah episode, and obviously, you know, there's people on both sides uh, as regarding her legacy. Since you were trained by her, how do you remember Moolah? Was she a, was she a good person, or you know, was she you know kind of evil like she was made out to be by some people? I, I do not have any connection to that evil evil Moolah they were talking about. Yeah. I, I never saw that out of her. I saw a lady that was tough. I saw a lady that was hard nosed. I saw a lady that protected her business, her income, her career. You got to think back. Moolah broke into the business in the 50s. There were very few women in the business back then. It was a man's business. Here's a woman breaking into it and doing so very, very successfully doing so. So she came from a different time, a different era, a different mindset. And Moolah could be tough to deal with when it comes to business and it comes to money. But I never saw that evil, wicked woman that was tricking girls out and, and getting them hooked on drugs and, and alcohol. I, I never witnessed any of that. Never. I, I, 
I just find that hard to believe that, that, that I, I don't buy it. Bottom line. Okay. You know, and uh, when we're talking about football, there's, you know, one issue that does kind of link football and pro wrestling together, and that's the CTE issue. Uh, what do you what do you make of what we've learned about concussions uh, in the in the past decade or so in relation to football and pro wrestling? Well, it's it's a very real, serious issue, big time. And uh, I was uh, contacted by the lawyer uh, that had the suit against the WWE and Vince on these concussions and initially signed up to be a part of that lawsuit. But then after thinking about it and sort of reflecting on it, I, I contacted the guy and I said, I want no part of this. I, I want nothing to do with it. Any injury, any concussion that I may have suffered throughout the business, it never happened in a WWE ring. So why am I going to hold Vince McMahon responsible for it and sue him? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted no part of it. And, and, and listen, I had no problem with anybody that was a part of it that felt like they needed to do that. That's a personal choice. It's left up to each and every athlete, each and every performer, each and every worker. I wouldn't criticize any that did it. And I didn't criticize those that decided not to do it. But I chose for me not to do that. But having said all that, it is a real serious issue that can have negative effects on people. So I think anything we can do to make the game of football safer, to make the business of pro wrestling safer, I'm all for it. You know, and uh, and do you still watch football? I don't know if you're still a football fan or not. Oh, man, I'm, I'm... Yes, I'll die a football fan. I, I live in the <laughs> South, man. We're, we're in the Southeastern Conference. I eat, I eat, sleep, and drink college football, Okay, especially well, college football. I had a rough football upbringing because I'm from Houston, and I grew up a, an Oilers-Warren Moon fan, and then we lost our team to Tennessee, and then I didn't get another team yep. until I was in, in college. So uh, I'm back on the wagon. But anyway, I ask because – you know, Vince McMahon, he's he's getting back into the football arena. He's going to relaunch the XFL. And, you know, he's talking, it sounds like, a more, about a more brutal style of football, right? He, he kind of wants to take the gloves off a little bit. What do you think of Vince's decision to, to relaunch the XFL and some of the ideas he, he has for that product? Well, you know, more power to him. I hope it goes well. Um, I, um, you know, I think the thing I'm all for, listen, football is a physical game and it's got to be played that way. It's got to be played that way. The one thing that I think is unnecessary are these just blow up headshots you put on guys. I have no problem, man, with planting your face mask in a guy's chest and trying to drive through his chest and come out his backbone. I got no problem with that, but these unnecessary headshots where there's just a guy standing harmlessly and. You know, after he's missed the pass or dropped the ball and somebody comes launching in and tries to knock his head off, yeah, we can't do that. We can't have that. We've got to protect these brains and what's inside these helmets. But if he wants to uh, present a very physical style of football, go for it. I'm all for it. But uh, he, like anybody else, is going to have a hard time. Uh, you just can't compete with the NFL. And I, I wish him the best, and I hope it goes well. But I. I have my doubts about if they can honestly make it. I mean, so far we've really had no one else that's been able to sustain football in the spring or another part of the year um, except the NFL. So I just think it's tough for anybody else to try to, to, try to do that. Uh, we brought up uh, the Trooper earlier, which I had fun reading about. I didn't actually get to find any video, but it sounds like you were a police officer who would – beat up people, and then write them tickets and drop them on them after you would beat them? Is, did I get that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, uh, 
I went to the ring looking sort of like a typical Southern Highway Patrolman, you know, that big Smokey the Bear hat. Yes. Uh, the, sh- the shirt with my badge and my belt with my flashlight and my cuffs. And after I would beat my opponent, uh, I used a submission hold. And after they were out and uh, got the one, two, three on them, I'd then take my ticket book out, write them a ticket and leave it on them. And on my way to the ring, would hand out plastic badges to all the kids so it was uh, it was a baby face character but with a little edge to him oh that sounds like a ton of fun you know and i was reading about this and i'm looking at the time frame here late 80s here you're coming into the business just as it is just like heating up it is on fire really for the first time right in the wake of wrestlemania one what was it trying to what was it like trying to break out during that period there when it was so hot well i uh, it was an exciting thing to me it was something that was it was a challenge and that I, I had no idea what was going to happen. I was just excited to be a part of the business, to, to be breaking into business. I grew up a wrestling fan here in Columbia. Went to my first match probably when I was 10 years old in 1971. And uh, it was exciting for me to be a part of an industry that I had loved as a kid. And I, uh, I was very fortunate that uh, I ran into a guy named Wahoo McDaniel uh, McDaniels at one of Moolah's shows, uh, Wahoo had a home in Charlotte, but he was working for Vern Gagne in the AWA and he had come down to Charlotte to stay for a few weeks and he worked on one of Moolah's shows here in Columbia, South Carolina. And, uh, we just sort of hit it off and he said, look, man, let me get your number. When I get back to Minneapolis, I'm going to tell Vern and Greg Gagne about you. And just a short few weeks later, I'm getting a call from Vern Gagne, man, I, I, 12 years old, I knew who Vern Gagne was. Yeah. And uh, that, was, that was a big deal to me. And the next thing you know, I was fortunate that while they were a company that was barely surviving, they did have ESPN. And they were on ESPN five days a week, Monday through Friday, from 4 to 5 o'clock. So I had a national TV exposure, even though the company was just barely alive and barely breathing. Yeah. But it did give me a chance to get on nationwide TV which was very, 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 very helpful for me. Was uh, was Bischoff there when you were working there? He was absolutely. Yeah, he was. He was our TV guy. What our did you? Commentator. What did you make of a young Bischoff working there at the time? Uh, I, I instantly got along with with Eric and, and and had a good friendship with him. He was an enthusiastic guy. He was a guy that had ideas and loved the business and just had an enthusiasm for the business. And then. That's what led me to go to work for WCW. Uh, Eric was running WCW at the time. Greg Gagne was uh, one of the guys on the booking committee. So that AWA connection was what opened the door for me and WCW when both of those guys are now down south in WCW. Did you, did you see the Bischoff news this morning? Do you know what, do you know what happened with him? Yeah, that, that he and uh, he's going to run SmackDown and uh, Paul's going to run Raw. Isn't that wild? Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> but you know what? Good. I mean, that's they need something. They desperately need something. They need some sort of direction. Uh, they need something to help them, and I hope this doesn't. What, are, do you keep up with the WWE product pretty regularly still? Uh, I try to, uh, but I must admit, every time I try to watch, I realize why I don't watch sometimes, <laughs> because it... And I'm not knocking the men and women that get in that ring and bust their butt night after night and train and work hard. But the product they're given to present, I think, is just 
it's horrible. Yeah. What are your biggest notes? Like if you could give a note or a couple notes to, to help make things a little bit more palatable, what would be those notes? Well, one thing I think is give the creativity back to the performer. I mean, can you imagine telling Ric Flair, here, here's this, I, I need you to memorize it. This is going to be your promo for tonight or Dusty Rhodes or Jake Roberts. These are the people that have a feel for their character. They're the ones that are doing the character. In a lot of cases, the character has to be something that you identify with, like with me. Uh, I mean, it, it was a perfect fit for me to be the Patriot because I'm an extremely patriotic individual and very much in love with my country. So uh, let those creative juices come from the men and women that get out there night after night and do this. Give them the opportunity to use their creativity, come up with the with the promos and the things that are going to stay on the mic. I, I think that's one of the big things they need to do. Okay. Uh, now, uh, get back here real quick, and I've taken you a little over the time. I said I would. Do, can I get Can I get five, ten more minutes with you, Dell? Is that all right? Yeah, you're fine. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure. I didn't know if you had to run off somewhere. Um, I wanted to get back to Japan because you brought up All Japan. I just had a good friend, my buddy Sam Adonis. Uh, he was part of the Champions Carnival over at All Japan recently. All J- a lot of people, I don't think, because New Japan Pro Wrestling is so popular right now, I don't know that they have an appreciation so much for the legacy of All Japan Pro Wrestling, but I didn't know if you wanted to talk a bit about your time and what you learned while working for Baba over at All Japan. Uh, like I said earlier, it was, the, it was the highlight of my career. It was the best part of my career. When I was breaking into the business, um, it was truly a feather in your cap. If you were invited by one of the two big companies, New Japan or All Japan, to go work for them. I mean, that was really a compliment. Uh, to go to work for Japan, to do a tour for Anoki, or to do a tour for, for Baba. And I did my first tour for Baba as the trooper. And I was not prepared for what I saw and what I took part of. It was a different paced type of work. It was a more physical, uh, a lot of, fin- you know, long finishes, a lot of false finishes, a lot of one-two kickouts. And I felt like I just really had a horrible three weeks. And I thought, man, I've blown my chance to ever work for Baba. But once I started doing the Patriot character, I had more experience. I was more seasoned. I'd gotten better. And uh, so they invited me back for another tour. And listen, man, I fell in love with the place, just the, the way Baba did business. And, and I honestly believe that there, I can't think of, uh, of any time throughout my career where business was any better than it was for all Japan during the 80s and 90s. In my opinion, that's the greatest crew ever assembled. When you look at the Japanese side and you walk into the Japanese locker room, there's Baba, there's Misawa, Kobashi, Kawada, Tawei, a very young Wan Akiyama. And you walk into the American dressing room and there's Stan Hansen, Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, Dory Funk Jr., Abdullah the Butcher, Duck Furnace, Danny Crawford, Tommy Rogers, uh, myself, Jackie Fulton. Uh, man, you've just got some amazing talent there. And night after night after night, the quality of matches that we had were second to, second to nobody. Uh, our attendance, I mean, we sold out over 230-something consecutive shows in Tokyo. We were everywhere we went, it was sellout business because we delivered great matches night after night after night, unbelievable finishes. And I loved working over there. I loved it. Mr. Baba was 
a man that did everything on his word in a handshake. I never signed a contract with him. Stan Hansen never signed a contract with him. Really? Nobody did. If Bob said, you're going to do 28 weeks, here's what I'm going to pay you a week. That's exactly what happened. Wow. that's You don't meet many like that in pro wrestling. That's very rare. No, you certainly don't. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned Jackie Fulton. I know you tagged with Jackie. You also, te- you also tagged with Johnny Ace, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, John Laurinaitis. Uh, what, what are your memories of working with Johnny, and are you surprised to see how influential he's become backstage in WWE? I'm not. Now, listen, I, again, perception for a lot of people is reality, and I guess they perceive Ace to be this certain type of guy. But I will say this for Johnny and, and, and the times that we were tag team partners in Japan. Johnny's a very creative guy. Johnny has a great mind for the business. Um, he could put together great finishes over there. And that was the most important part of anything we did when I worked for Mr. Baba. When the finishes, our finishes could be 10, 15 minutes long sometimes. And you just got so many false finishes and so many kickouts, and you've got to have some creativity. And Johnny was extremely good at that. So, no, I'm not surprised. I, uh, I respect Johnny's ability in the business from a mental standpoint to be able to put things together and come up with some great concepts. Okay. Have you seen it? Uh, have you seen him on the television show, total Bellas? Yeah, I have. And, and it just, um, you know, I'm not much into that show. He, he, he looks, I don't know. He looks like a pair of Brown shoes with everybody else wearing black tuxedos. He just, I don't know. He just doesn't seem to fit. but I guess he does, but he just, I don't know. It always it seems like John's always the guy that's you know just sort of everybody else. We're talking about things around Johnny, and Johnny's just the guy standing there with his hands in his pocket, going, "Yeah, it sounds good. Okay, whatever." <laughs> uh, wow, I was I was going to throw that out there. I didn't know if you'd actually watch Total Bellas or not. That tickles me. Um, now uh, I wanted to, to shift gears here as we, we wrap it up. Obviously, you know, we're, there's more competition in, in pro wrestling now than ever before. The son of uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Cody Rhodes. Uh, teaming with the Young Bucks here. These guys went over to Japan. They got white hot. They came back, and now they're starting a whole promotion with AEW. What do you think of the launch of this product and, and you know, the work that Cody's doing right now? Well, I think it's great. I, I think it is wonderful. Vince needs competition. Competition is good for everybody. It's good for your business and what you do for a living. It's good for everybody. Everybody needs competition. And, it, and the boys need another option and another place that they can go to. And I'm all for it, and I hope they do well. And the only thing that I've watched was I watched the Cody and, and uh, Dustin match yeah. and enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. And um, I, I wish them nothing but the best. And I think, they, uh, I think they've got good talent there. I think they've got good creativity there. And uh, I think they can do some amazing things, and I hope they do. Um, I, I was just kind of wanted to ask you, since I have you here, what do you think of uh, all the guys or, or women or whoever that have done knockoff Patriot gimmicks on the independent wrestling scene over the years? Uh, I think I, I don't have a very high opinion of them at all. <laughs> okay. Um, no, and, and, and I'm, I'll get into that. Sure. Um, you know, I realize that, that wrestling – it's sort of a copycat business in a lot of ways, but there's one particular guy that just literally claims he is me. Um, and if you want to call yourself the, you know, the, I don't know, the, the American, whatever, I mean, but to present yourself as me, to, to package yourself as me, to tell people you're me, to sell my pictures and sign my pictures, 
uh, in an event you go to to sign and sell my action figures, because I guarantee you this, you've never had an action figure, because you're lucky that you were first or second match for any company you ever worked for. The best thing that ever happened to this guy evidently is me. So I don't have a very high opinion of it. I think it's a, I think it's a testament on his lack of creativity, his lack of work ethic, his lack of trying to develop something for himself that he could call his own. I think it's a lazy, I think it's a, it's a horribly lazy uh, way of doing things to just ride on somebody else's coattails and tell them that you are that person and present yourself as that person. I think it's just scumbag. Yeah. I figured you'd say something like that. I was just wondering because, like, I did the Indies for a long time. I was a manager here in the Midwest, and I saw a couple knockoff Patriots. And, you know, since I had you here, I figured I'd ask. Um, well, Dell, yeah. this was amazing. This was incredible. 45 minutes with the Patriot on 4th of July. I'm sure there were people, you know, prepping their barbecues, putting this on in the background, loving your stories. Uh, where do you want to send people to find you? I know you've got a, a store and your DVD that you'd like to promote here before we wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Behind the Mask, it was a project that we completed a couple of maybe three years ago. Um, Michael Elliott with Elbow uh, Productions or Elbow Documentaries did it for us, did a great job. It's a free disc set. It's over seven hours of viewing, and you can go to Dell, and that's D-E-L, Dell, thepatriotwilts.com. And that's our website. And not only can you get the DVDs there, but you can get masks, you can get pictures, you can get posters, you can get cards, uh, all autographs. Um, we're set up with PayPal. And also, too, there's always a list of, uh, of our events and itinerary, things that we're going to be attending and events we're going to be going to. But uh, DellThePatriotWilks.com. Also, follow on Twitter at DellWilks, all caps. Thank you so much, Adele, for sitting down. Justin, thank you very much for taking the time to, to make sure we put out a proper episode of The Winkly here today with some banter from us and, and a wonderful guest like Dell. Is there anything you want to plug, promote, put, up, put over here before we wrap up our 4th of July special? Well, my Twitter, at Justin LeVar, and I'd like to say that I got to use that entire interview to let my charcoal grill warm up. It's now warmed up, so I will be leaving you now. Wonderful, and I'll be leaving you now as well for the day. Stay safe out there, everybody. If you're going to drink, drink responsibly. Don't drink and drive. Handle those fireworks with care. And uh, I am at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. <laughs>